Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We're here on the porch of Wade Johnston's family estate here on 57th and Oklahoma on the south side of Milwaukee. <laughs> Watching. <laughs> Two houses down do you, from the bar. Do you, do you want to <laughs> email me for the exact address? How did it get weird mail as it is? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we should tell, I should tell a story about that because... Uh, I think last episode we talked about you having an e-bike and that I would give extra credit to any student who get a, pic- a video of you riding. Right. And when I would say that to the class, I would say, but I'm not going to tell you that he lives on Oklahoma and 57th because that would be inappropriate. Uh. Right. So it's already out there. <laughs> but we are on the south side of Milwaukee uh, watching the Bucks play the Suns in game four, the NBA finals. So some of us may be distracted during this podcast. We are going to be talking about... Peter, do you think uh, they're showing players getting stretched out down on the court? Do you think if one of us someday went with just like a black polo shirt and black pants like uh, the guy stretching them out have, we could get down there and stretch out the players? I think it's worth trying. I mean... I wonder what the penalty for that would be. You just kind of... Is the question, can you pass for an NBA trainer? <laughs> Is that the question? <laughs> Worded another way. <laughs> I think somewhat. Probably. Yeah, they probably are familiar... Yeah, I could see it happening. Yeah, it's probably the same guy stretching so. him every game. Yeah, Peter could do that. <laughs> probably a better relationship that way than... They're like that. Because they know how you like the stretches. Yep. That guy looks fit. I bet he's a really good trainer. I don't think fitness has anything to do with stretching, though. <laughs> well, actually quite a stretching bit. Stretching was like the thing they had you do before you did fitness. <laughs> Our topic today is going to be celebrity You remember pastors. when it was your gym teachers oh, would be like, if you didn't topic? stretch, that you would you would die or something. Yeah. Celebrity pastors, like the, has a topic the, the threat to of celebrity pastors, not just like a celebrity in the in the broad sense of somebody who you see on TV, like a TV evangelist, but also the threat of a local pastor actually becoming a minor celebrity and the threat of that um, for, for the minister, but also for the congregation. So, you know what I would get if I were a celebrity pastor? What? Someone to stretch me out before the sermon. You know what? That's not a bad idea. We should also think about what your your name would be if you were a celebrity past, pastor, because there's not many celebrity pastors in the Roman Catholic Church, but there was Bishop Bling in the German Church recently. That's pretty good. I don't know. That sounds like a get, wrestling I, name. I don't think you could get any better name if you're a celebrity pastor. So think about that. You way. know what another free-for-all would be sometime? thing you were told all the time as a kid that like there'd be big bad things happen if you didn't do like stretching not eating 30 minutes before swimming um your permanent record in second grade uh i think that'd be a good one be a good free-for-all we're gonna do a different don't free talk for all. to strangers yep unless or take candy no i <laughs> i think that it's i was trying to mix it up to see if he's paying attention <laughs> Uh, we do have a better free-for-all for today <clears throat> because we have Ben and Peter here for the first time in a long time. And one of the free-for-alls we wanted to do was, uh, well, pose this question, what do you fear more, corporations or governments? And so we're going to have a good, spirited free-for-all on that. It may be a long free-for-all, too. So uh, celebrity pastors and then a free-for-all, which we'll come to in a second, is going to be corporations and governments, which do you fear worse or fear more? Um, a fr- uh, disclaimer? It's a podcast? Yeah, we actually Chill out. a disclaimer. To it's bring fine. It Email Ben if you have any issues. All right. We'll be back. 
And we're back for a free-for-all. I uh, failed to tell the audience who is here. We have Pastor John Bordelin from St. John's Maguanago. Say hi. Hi. Another guest, Peter Peter Hermanson. Hello. Hello. Wade Johnson's here. Thank you. Hello. And then we have Ben Lyra. Hi. And you just called Peter a guest. Isn't he one of the foundational members of the podcast? Who's, who is that's talking rude. right now? That's how Mike rolls. Just taking over. It's like he's been kicked out. I think you called Wade a guest, too. I think it's you were officially here before Mike's. Mike, weren't you, Peter? I think, yeah. we're, I think all we're all here. Peter, Peter Mike, yeah. wasn't a guest. We weren't but yet, John was. <laughs> you haven't been here in a while, so now you're, you've are you been demoted to guest. I think it's officially Mike's podcast. Uh. Right. You've been relegated. <laughs> Peter, who set up. Peter and Ben set up, like, all our tech. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, Ben just said he never wanted to be a part of it, which is true. And he's mostly gotten his wish. Yeah, yes. and even today, uh, for the for our audience, as, as Michael called you, um, I forgot the uh, attachment so we could use more than four mics. So uh, Mike and Ben are actually sharing a mic. So if you hear uh, one of them sounds really faint or um, there's a, a pause, that's the mic transferring. Although so far I'd say uh, the mic has stayed about two inches from Mike's face, huh? He's... <laughs> <laughs> He's just assuming he's got the thing to say. And it is ben, his podcast. It seems like I really don't when it comes to the free-for-all. And the free-for-all is, what do you fear more, corporations or governments? I would say, growing up, that I was taught to fear governments and not corporations, being a good you know, conservative Midwest American. But I think I'm, I'm maybe changing my tune a little bit there. I fear both now, right? I think, well, it's kind of interesting that, that conservatives think that government's completely inept but except when they have these grand conspiracies and stuff like that you kind of kind of can't have it both ways sort of think and i think uh if you think that business is the way to go and they're the ones that that are uh more efficient and more powerful and should be then you should fear them more right what do you think peter <laughs> you know who i fear who do you fear god I think that's a it's a good starting point. Yeah, but but that's a positive fear, and so I just I bring that up because I think it should be okay to answer I fear one or the other, but like in a reverent way. I'm just not idolatry, but not like, understanding the distinction. Like in the a question. healthy fear. We don't fear God like lightning's going to strike us. No, no, not not that question. The original question. I was actually mostly ignoring what you were saying. Oh, okay. I was waiting to see if Ben was going to chime in. <coughs> I got nothing right now. Go ahead. No, I just I don't. I failed. I failed to see the the clear distinction in the in the question. The governments and the corporations, like. What do you mean? The, they're the same the thing. Yeah. What's the difference here again? Uh, often, oftentimes, not a lot. Huh. Okay. I actually just heard someone giving like the uh, kind of that real quick sketch of you know Western history from the American perspective, and you've got the World Wars, especially World War Two. It's the fascists against the. Um, communists and the capitalists and the communists and capitalists win and then in the cold war you have the battle between the communists and the capitalists and the capitalists win and you, you know yay we can all be proud americans and then he said and now we're all corporatists and i uh, felt like that's that's kind of accurate <laughs> so i don't see the distinction but if i have to pick one i'm definitely going with government <laughs> i think i think they're intertwined a lot but i would say corporations because I think increasingly our government is funding corporations instead of the corporations funding government like paying taxes so um, I think uh, what makes you say that way I'm, I'm just like I mean you don't have to go 
like way back in history, but just like say the last twelve months or so. I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I think uh Musk and Bezos and uh um, Branson are setting up lasers up there right now uh, as they go up for the final takeover. <laughs> but uh, this is this is the beginning. This is how it all ends, right? <laughs> Maybe it's a distinction worth making. Like Mike, is your position is that like history has taught you that through the you know through the the totality of western civilization that's how you feel or is that how you feel like right now or is that not really a distinction worth making well i think we're probably growing up as probably in a safe to say a conservative mindset that we were taught that personal freedom america was founded on this idea that government kings church institutions were going to take away your freedom and the free exercise of business and stuff like that was going to save us from that save us from that tyranny but the truth of the matter is if like wade said i think if the government is supporting corporations so much with 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 dollars right that there's a power power shift there and the assumption that businesses kind of just get a ethical pass right like if you're making money it doesn't really matter if there's collateral damage right it's just it just that's just the way it is and i think that's probably um let's just say dangerous right and i might, <clears throat> I might point out that um there might be some people in yemen that might say collateral damage is also kind of dangerous so yeah you know that would be more government you know intervention but the uh I just think there's there's sure. there's problems all over uh, the place. We, we know where it's Peter's messed up world. We know where Peter's gonna stand <laughs> I on think, all uh, this. I think algebra. That was something as a kid that they said you need and you never really need. Is algebra. <laughs> well, wait. Here's a serious question because I think what what maybe some people are worried about is okay. The government comes in and says this is what you have to teach in schools. This is how you're supposed to think and attack on free speech but we rather through corporations actually give up our freedom right and our ability to think by letting them come into our lives and tell us what to buy and what to wear and how to think it's like wouldn't it be great if you thought this or you wore this right yeah so i think some some of this is the difference between 1984 and a brave new world right yeah yeah that's such sure. a great distinction. We've we've talked about that right. before, but yeah, that's a great one. So we should do a um, we, sh- we should do a podcast episode on that. The distinction between 1984 and Brave New World, and maybe throw in a third one in there. Hmm. Wade, what's your third favorite dystopian novel? Third favorite? Well, give me your top three. I would say um, probably 1984, Fahrenheit 451, and uh, I don't know Trump writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> have you read we yeah that's actually very good yeah. <clears throat> that's not a lot of places no um in english i mean there is one but it's i don't you don't see it at like a bookstore or anything but right. no that actually is is a really uh that's um uh did i ran read a dystopian novel there's one and she takes it the opposite way yeah because he does we and she does it about the i and then the guy Runs off to be by himself, and that was. Uh, it was an interesting to read. It was interesting to read both of them together. All right, and I would say 1984 is right. The government is the one you should fear, but mm-hmm. I think the 
the more convincing ones to me now are the, I would say, corporate or environmental side of things. And that would definitely be the Brave New World yeah. approach. But again, I think that they and Fahrenheit four fifty we're like going a completely different direction. I think we've talked about this before, but this is interesting to me anyway. So the um, the distinction between whether it's voluntary or compulsory. Sure. So in 1984, of course, if you've read that, you know that they they say it's voluntary, and as your as the reader says, that's not voluntary. But in the Brave New World, the whole argument is, no, 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 you did this on your own of your own free will, and that's always been scarier for me. And I think that's if you take corporate as largely voluntary meaning you know th- these things are being marketed to you to some degree still that is probably the more likely route i mean we talked about the last episode i i'm, I'm not going to be too afraid of the government until they can even you know pave a road yeah but <laughs> right oh well, and a, a lot of this especially in the american context you can see that underneath all of it is the idea of personal responsibility versus an anthropology that understands that mankind does not have a free will right so because the argument always is well you have free will you can do whatever you want and it's your decision and so but the truth of the matter is i think biologically already proven but certainly uh reading saint paul's letters that we don't really have the free will we think we have right and so that puts the that puts i think a little bit more of the onus on on capitalism and the market and corporations peter <laughs> i i started off by saying i don't see the distinction well the 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 lines certainly certainly are blurred in eastern europe and probably just as blurred in the western world as well <laughs> um especially with i think military right mm-hmm. and um all of the stuff that has happened in the last 20 years in the Middle East, too, as well. But Ben has something to say. I was just going to say, I think sometimes, too, they the two team up. And if, if there's something that government can't do because they'll get sued or because people have certain civil liberties, they, they say, hey, I wonder if this corporation could take care of this for us. <laughs> and then, and because, you know, they can, they can hide behind the whole, well, we're a private business, we can make these decisions. And then, you know, equally and oppositely the same thing. Hey, we can't force people to buy our product, but we could give the government a good contract so the government's buying our product and distributing it as kind of the go-to product for whatever you know class of products you're talking about so i when peter says he fails to make the distinction i think there's a lot of collusion and that's that's when it's the scariest i think it's like the one-two punch of the mafia or something well uh, we just can be thankful for companies like amazon that don't do stuff like that with the department of defense or anything like right. that so right. that, we're, we're very happy about that what about what about pastor borderland over here he hasn't pastor borderland what do you, what do you think I, I don't swim in these waters <laughs> <laughs> fascinating thank no. you all right i think that was enough we'll come back for our main topic the uh um another one i think would be uh the milk hold on wait you have something myth. to say yeah you know you're in grade school and you had to have your carton of milk every day and you'd somehow die if you didn't have cow milk you know, that was just the, the milk corporation, right. you know, that was feeding you a line. There's actually that was corporations and government together. Yeah, and it was something you were told as a kid that didn't uh, have turn you, out to be have true. You read? I just the trifecta. I just united everything. I read I read an article recently on like the sugar lobby in the 1800s. 
Like it's crazy. <laughs> and this, this stuff actually happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, Wade just remind me of something. Do you do you remember the food pyramid we were shown? Yeah. Like when we were in grade school, yeah. it was like like the bottom of the pyramid was was like starches and carbohydrates. You just need to eat a lot of bread, kids. And then you like mean that's not that's next. not there anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, they've updated it. Oh, I think everyone at this table is still living off of that model. <laughs> Looking around, I would agree. All right, we'll be back for our main topic. brings us to our main topic today, which I believe Mike was legalizing marijuana, if I remember. That was not my topic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a topic we wanted to do that Mike won't, won't do, so sorry, I was just joking. Our topic today is, uh, I don't know it's, that it's the best name, but celebrity pastors, and it, it has come out of kind of a couple things, I think. Um, one, I, I feel like we should have some intro music if we're going to do celebrity pastors. Yeah. They're, they're, or uh, Like Creflo Dollars probably got some, got some music. Yeah. But, um... I was listening to. I recently listened to the, the been listening to the podcast episodes. Uh, can't remember who's doing them, but on uh, Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, and then I got recommended to me through the app, probably because of that, another podcast series on Jerry Falwell and Liberty. Um, and I thought between those and then just with um, Mike, you had had an article months ago. You shared with me that I think hit on this a little bit too. Um, but the idea of um, the celebrity pastor or the celebrity leader, I guess, within the church, Jerry Falwell Jr. was not ordained. Um, but just even maybe the temptation towards celebrity, if we can use that term, um, within the, the church. And that can be um, the celebrity pastor. Um, and that can be you're in a town of, you know, 300 people and celebrity just being, you know, that you... Uh, you're the highest educated guy in town. And you're the one who's at a pulpit on Sunday. Um, and people can maybe begin to look to you as more than simply a shepherd, as the Bible describes it. Um, but I think it can be the temptation for um, a seminarian to be on social media um, holding forth constantly or trying to build a brand for, for when he's out. Um, it can be the theologian um, who uh, becomes more about um, views or reads or getting stuff out um, than uh, the actual content itself, or maybe it's even good content, but uh, the content largely is is, is built around the person. Um, it definitely can come up in academia to be the professor, um, you know, who uh, students are going to be drawn to, who they're going to take, um, maybe partly because of what you're teaching, but also just because of um, the brand you've built. Uh, and, and then I think it within the church it's itself, too, um, I think every parish can have its many celebrities. Um, and that can be a big draw for some people in the church. That's something they look forward to. And, and not always in a bad way to be a place where you, right, have really contributed and have it influence. Um, but as Mike kind of described it as we were hashing it out, maybe how that fits with a diminishing of focus upon the means of grace 
leads to an increase of focus uh, upon the the individual. And that's not always a a conscious thing even. Um, it might not be that someone's getting rid of the means of grace, but I think as far as um, the podcast I was talking about, I think Mike observed well when we were talking about it, that especially in churches or church bodies where the emphasis isn't on the means of grace, and they might even you know kind of laugh at how hoity-toity clergy may seem in other church bodies or the emphasis on the ministry, whether in Roman Catholicism or in a Lutheranism or Episcopalianism even, um, can interestingly um, lead to, you know, Pastor Joe in his trendy garb um, actually having maybe more influence and um, more control than the pastor in that church with the high view of the ministry might have. And maybe I'll let you, Mike, then unpack a little bit more what you have in mind with it, and then we can go to whoever. Sure. I thought it was always ironic that maybe a egalitarian a more egalitarian way of looking at the the ministry and uh, the church community um saying oh you know these catholic priests for instance you know they're revered and and all this kind of stuff and we we've moved on behind sorry that's me that's that that's me that's not copyrighted this is gonna get yanked no boy all right algorithm's gonna catch us but like uh, this idea that as if we haven't moved on from the medieval church, right? Hundreds of years later, and we've talked about kind of aromophobia and looking at the guy up front in his garb and doing Did he this say liturgy. Aromophobia. Romophobia. Oh, okay. yeah. he said aroma. I heard aromophobia. Aromophobia. Or I thought he said horse. <laughs> or was it horse? <laughs> That's an inside joke. Um, a. Romophobia. The irony is that when I think it's pronounced aroma, <laughs> but go ahead. The irony is when you uh, strip away the objective means of grace and with that is going to be a liturgical sensibility. Those things go hand in hand that you're nothing left with the sermon and therefore you're nothing left with, but the pastor's ability, his, his ability to, to speak. Right. And and finally, that's going to come down to his personality. And then a lot of times when these things are imported into churches that formerly maybe had a higher view of the ministry itself, um, that becomes the case often though, because that's that is native to the things being adopted. Yeah. Right. Hair pastor. Right. Kind of thing. And then it becomes hair pastor who is has a certain amount of talents. And pastors. what we mean, <laughs> what we mean by. By that talent is his Fair ability past. to um, to speak and to... Uh, Mike, can you take off your hat and say hair pastor again? Hair pastor. <laughs> Thank you. I'm already thinking what's going on in my church or on my office door. <laughs> All right, another inside joke. Okay. All right. Um, but th- the main point is when you strip away the objective means of grace ironically trying to bring down the pastor to the to the level of the laity he's nothing special um you actually make the pastor about his personality rather than just the the administrator of those gifts right and i mean i think the the great irony is um you know what really happens is and i mean the early reformers were accused of it and get what getting rid of one pope we now have many you know and you listen to those podcasts and you have places where um and it's it's not always the clergy that are playing the pope in the church either, right? There's, we've seen those other churches, 
but inev inevitably a pope will step forward. Um, before we go more with it, I thought of one more thing. So, a great irony, and this kind of talks about corporation government, but as kids, right, they told us, don't do drugs. Wow, they drugged up like half of us and then put us out to be pawns of the pharmaceutical <laughs> companies for the rest of our lives. A good Netflix series is The Pharmacist that... Yeah, that so, I mean, really, that, yeah. that was a mixed message they gave us. Well, plus corporations and government all mixed up in that, too. I right, think, that's what I'm I saying. I think you're that misunderstanding, though, because they were giving us pharmaceuticals and then telling us not right, to do they drugs. They were saying, don't do non-corporate drugs, and then they said, do corporate drugs. They were saying you should do the good drugs, but don't right. do the bad drugs. Well, but the corporate they're not drugs. You're, you're, it's pharmaceuticals. It's a different word. <laughs> don't buy from... <laughs> right, like from the difference between oxycodone. Content and cocaine, right? One's well, a pharmaceutical, yeah. one is, or yeah, it was, it the was other one is an illegal small drug. business. It was don't buy from Dimebag Dan, mm -hmm. buy <laughs> from Pfizer, mm -hmm. right? So right. it was government and corporations. But then you have to ask where, did, where did Pfizer come from? You know, I mean, Dimebag Dan was, you know, he started somewhere. Just like Pfizer started somewhere. Okay, last, no? Do you guys still have the ability on this thing to like go back two minutes and just no, keep no. recording? Last, no, last thing before we go we back to the main topic. All we, we edit out are Wade's cops. Out of the five of us, if you just were, we all were meeting each other for the first time, who would we most likely think was Dimebag Dan? <laughs> like if someone was set up an appointment with Dimebag Dan and then came to this backyard, didn't know us, we don't know each other. It would be would, you, Wade. Who I would, would go, they go to first? I would go Wade. Yeah, I would say, that looks like an eight-mile uh, white boy Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Also another good Netflix series, White Boy Rick. I, I would say I would have said John when he had the beard, but he's cleaned up a lot, so I don't think John. I probably also maybe would say me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you like that oh, happens a lot. Right, I'm sorry, so you're, you're moving towards more of a Santa Claus vibe, <laughs> honestly, with the uh, white beard. Yeah, I'm going so. to back out. You made me paranoid before, so I trimmed it because you told me it was too round. It's too round. You have to go. You have to go more vertical. It'll make you look skinnier. <laughs> That's not gonna help. Oh, sure it does. <laughs> sure it does. Because right, so it's like you have this. Like, is Mike telling us how to be skinny? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you how to how to I be faux skinny. Because your your skinny. your head was like a perfect round circle with this beard, and then it just accentuated the the roundness of the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like wearing round wearing. Stripes, horizontal right, stripes. Right, exactly. Uh, All right, uh, so Pastor Bordelin, uh, what do you think so far about the celebrity pastor talk and the means of grace? And then and then maybe if you want, say, you've been in a situation where um, your church has grown, really doubled within a less than, less than a decade. Uh, do you see the temptation there of saying, oh, Pastor Bordelin's so great, and... and like I can think of a situation where maybe someone comes to your parish because you're quote unquote successful when they're driving past a bunch of other parishes and maybe you're like, you know what, maybe that's not the reason to come here. Well, and to be going to a church that's um, in the past was not the best neighborhood. I mean, if you remember Culver's. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, that is one too many inside jokes, Wade. We have to, we have to keep on moving. It's a wonderful neighborhood. No, I think, and think back to just the elementary thought of, um, you know, um, if you're the pastor who's always liked and always loved, um, maybe you're not saying all that needs to be said. I mean, I think that goes back to, you know, that's like day one of seminary and uh, that uh, you don't go out of your way to pick fights, but uh, sometimes the 
the right thing to say um, is, is gonna is gonna offend people um, in the right way. Yeah, is there always a temptation as preacher um, to preach in such a way and to lead in such a way that you be loved and and the temptation that comes um, the celebrity status um, with that? There's something you said before, and I'll maybe I'll come back to that. Is uh, when you're talking about more of the small town pastor, uh, Mike. You and I both served in places where. Uh, the majority of the small town were our parishioners. And, um, you know, how does that feed your sinful nature, Mike? You remember that, those years. Um, and uh, just what you've already said, keeping... At the same time, it made us feel uncomfortable. Yes. Right? Like, I'm right. guessing on the front end, very uncomfortable. Right. You're like, I hope they don't realize I'm a fraud. So right? I wondered, uh, driving up here uh, this evening, thinking about that, what... what you know what guards us against falling into that trap it's when when somebody walks maybe to your original question someone walks in church like you know what have you been doing that st john's grows like this and you just you push back against that regularly in teaching and preaching and 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 talking with folks well this is this is nothing and you continue to uh means of grace centered um in your ministry um but I think the conversation, having, having good pastor friends uh, to keep you in line and keep you in check, um, a good faithful wife who keeps you in line, keeps you in check. Um, yeah, but that temptation is, is very, very Who doesn't like to be liked? Who, I mean, uh, you guys who are in the, the college world, um, you, do you like it when your classes fill up or do you like it when they're half filled? Wade. I would say... Uh Early on, I liked it when it filled up. That felt good. And now I would gladly um, have less papers have less, to grade. <laughs> have less students. <laughs> I, uh, but, um, but no, I mean, I, I do think there's definitely something to that um, to those for those who are in the ministry in, in the college setting or just in the college setting in general. I mean, um, from how you shape your curriculum to how you deal with the students, um, to what you actually focus on in the class, all these things can be colored, especially in a you know in a culture that is um, the uh, you're going to know you're going to be evaluated, right? Which, thankfully, so few of my students do the evaluations. And statistically, they're they're worthless. Um, but uh, I think not many students in general do the evaluations. But when you know you're um, you want to have people. Uh, continue on with the classes you enjoy teaching or with the department uh i think that can can rear its head um with the parish i mean something that i and we can come back to the college too uh i think right you didn't i didn't i think john you're the only one who's had the experience now of following someone um at a place that wasn't your first congregation right so you you've left and then followed we we both left and then we were at the college. Um, but maybe something for anybody who wants to jump in, and then I would appreciate Peter and Ben or Peter or Ben's thoughts on um, f- from the perspective of people who've observed plenty of pastors and, um, and what they're looking for in church. But I think in Lutheranism for a while, we kind of held off some of that celebrity pastor temptation because we knew we were leaving, right? And someone new was going to come. And really what's paramount is that survival of that congregation. I mean, ultimately, if we're serving well, we're about that congregation when, we, when we're when we there. Um, but kind of the real danger, and um, I know I never served a vacancy, honestly, but I think you guys both have too. Um, 
you know, how that plays into uh, how viable a church really is going to be, depending on where the focus is placed. But I, I don't know anything on that. I'd maybe make a comment about, I'll say to my students, one of the best, one of the best gifts of marriage is to have somebody to tell you that you're an idiot and still love you. <laughs> um, and you need that. And in, in God has a very, very good way of doing that with within the congregation of sending you somebody um, who is going to remind you that you're not as talented as as you are. I mean, one, one of the things is every Sunday you're greeting people and they almost without thinking about it say, oh, good, great sermon, or that's exactly what I needed to hear. And it, it's it's almost cliche, like they almost have to say something sometimes. Um, and, and, and you know, you're, you're in your mind, you know, okay, whatever. It's not a big deal that they say it or not say it, but your ego, right. Can, can, can grow or diminish depending on how many people are going to tell you that you're doing a good job or not. Um, and so it's a blessing actually that have somebody come in and say, you failed at this. Why haven't you done this? And not just from a practical point of view to point out something that you've missed, but just to remind yourself that you're not all that and that the congregation is going to be just fine without you. No, I really appreciate that. Um, and I, I don't know if I was listening to something. Uh, Will Willimans, a name, uh, used to be dean uh, of the Duke uh, Chapel, Duke Divinity School. And he said something along the lines that just stuck with me about you know, sometimes people get upset with you and they leave quietly, and sometimes people get upset with you, and then and then speak up quite loudly. And um, I remember, you know, early on in parish ministry when those things would happen. I mean, it would just, you know, just knock you flat. And and I used to think that was the worst thing in the world. Not that you enjoy it at all, but but now maybe you see, boy, that's the Lord's way of guarding you against um, that temptation Um, both congregations I've served the one had just come off the heels of 125th anniversary and the other one celebrated 125 years right after I got there and that's just a beautiful object lesson as you're putting together the service (laughs) folder in the history of all the preachers and teachers and faithful folks who've served in that place over those years and you're adding your name and of course your years just have a little hyphen and you know it's not completed but you know someday your service there is ending and guess what you know the Lord has done his thing for a long time um, without you and now he's maybe doing it in spite of you um, and uh, by his grace he'll continue after you. You mentioned the vacancy waiter Mike and um, serving as a vacancy pastor allows you to come in and and uh, you're preaching to the choir but you're also preaching to yourself I think in those terms um, this is why you missed the previous pastor and this is what you're looking for in the next pastor but you know God be praised that uh, this is not about this is not about the pastor um, um, and Peter or Ben, and whichever of you, or if neither wants to jump in, that's fine. You guys uh, have have had a multitude of pastors. You've both been active in congregations that you've served. Um, we're all three, John and Mike and I, somewhat tainted in that uh, to some degree or another, we've all at some point thought we were doing pretty good or we're pretty cool, right? We've got that kind of, we went to seminary with all the other weird guys, and we come out, you know, with a warped sense of what's cool. Um, 
what what do you guys think as far as uh, when it comes to leadership in the church? So maybe not a pastor, but the the prominent personalities or the pastors themselves. Um, any thoughts or experiences that come to mind and how that has related to the means of grace or what you've wanted from the church or where you've looked? Well, <clears throat> I, I'll say if, it's just a personality thing for me, I'm sure, and I'm obviously in the minority because the whole idea of a celebrity is that the majority or, or a you know, large portion, a large plurality are interested in. <laughs> That's never been what I've looked for. And so I've had, you know, if we think about celebrity personalities um, as more or less charismatic, you know, um, in a person personality sense, not in a theological sense, um, I've always shied away from the more charismatic pastors simply because that's not what I'm looking for. However, I have had pastors that are extremely good speakers and very engaging and just, I mean, they just have that warm personality um, that kind of pulls people in and, uh, you know, there's there's a huge benefit there but there's a there's a huge danger as well i mean there's benefit for the congregation and that the and for the pastor and that they can um preach the the gospel um more more readily or or just there's there's more avenues for it but the danger is that uh that becomes the focus then and we always look at numbers right we're in council meetings or whatever right. and say well what's our what's our what's our uh, attendance what are what's our membership and all this and we all, I think, at the table probably know that that's not really what we're here for. But at the same time, if we are here to, I mean, like the church is there to preach to people, right? right. And so there and is something there. We got to pay attention for, to yeah. it. Yeah, we have to budget for it. There's practical things as well. But it's easy to, to um, I think, for someone who has is just naturally charismatic in that way to just be more and more drawn in by it and say, like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, we're bringing in more people. This is a good thing. And um, you know, I I was thinking about the the wife right away as you talked about this because I know all of your wives and they wouldn't let you <laughs> get away with anything. You know, I mean they they'll humble you uh, every chance they get. I think, and that I think is a really great thing, which sounds strange maybe at, you know from the outside, but it really is like when you're in a position where you have that potential to kind of get swept away to have someone that close to you that's kind of smacking you down and saying get over yourself. You know. When's the last time you did a load of laundry around here? You know, you're not that great. Um, and then more importantly, you know, if you have a, if you're blessed to have a spouse that is a, you know, astute theologian herself, like she can say, what do you do it? Like you're, that, that turned into all law. What, you know I mean? Or <laughs> Ben, a big, uh, a big throwback here, the, the law gospel law sandwich, you know I mean? Like there's a lot of temptations there. So, I mean, that's, for me, I haven't had a lot of experience with that simply because that's not what I've been looking for. But I definitely have had pastors that are, you know, more or less, uh, you know, uh, prone to that just because of their their natural gifts. And, uh, and maybe to that, that someone loves a pastor enough who is charismatic in understanding it in the proper sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to warn them against the temptation that comes along with that, that in and of itself is not a, a bad thing. That's not what you're saying, right? But no, that not at all. when that begins to carry the day rather than um, than the word he's been called, that called ac- to preach. Yeah, that actually reminds me, Wade, something you said at the in the intro to the topic was you warned even like seminarians from holding forth on social media or whatever. And um, I'm, I wondered right away when you said that, 
you know, certainly there are some seminarians and there are pastors that they, it's a personality cult. They're, they're trying to build their brand, I think is the way you put it. Um, but I also know people who have that, that I don't think that's at all how they sure, started out. Sure. It just kind of slowly morphed into that and priorities get, get twisted and, and flip-flopped. And, you know, in some ways the seminarians are the worst pastors, worst preachers, or I should say worst theologians, because they think they have it all figured out and they just, there's so much that they're just missing. But in some ways, like the simplicity of it, right? I mean, like if you, if you go to a, a seminary, uh, to a, a seminarian who's paying attention, is that a good seminary and say, you know, what, what's the most important thing in your, in your sermon to get across? And they say law and gospel. You're like, yeah, right. It might be harder to find, you know, even good pastors that, that can give you that succinct of an answer. So, but what do you, th- I mean, like, do you think that that's more often, people that are kind of that set out seeking it or that they fall into it um, because that they kind of naturally attract people to them. And Sure. I mean, I think there can be both that, I mean, certainly can come into play, especially, I mean, as we all five here exist, church body-wise, you're in a smaller pond, right? So <clears throat> sometimes it's mm-hmm. it's easier to, um, to have, you know, th- things where you, you come to attention. Mm-hmm. And I think I mean it can and it it definitely is something that is flattering. Um, I don't know for you, Mike, but you know you get to the college in my experience, and you're now suddenly you're asked to present places, or you know you're asked to do things that you weren't doing before. Um, you know, there's an excitement to that, and it uh, you know is is something that I I tried to be really aware of as time went on with the conferences. Um, you know, is that you go and then to get more out of them than you put in. And by that, I don't mean to be to be lazy. But kind of early on, you have people that, you know, they'll come up, thank you, ask you a question, whatever. And it gets really easy to want them to get in that mode of like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person, you know, with the answers here. Um, and I found that I, I got a lot more out of let's really get to know the people there. Um, someone brings up something interesting to pick someone's brain. Um, because it... I mean, it's the same as being in the classroom. And, um, I mean, John, you've been in the classroom and filled in for us. And, and Peter, you taught at the college. And, and Mike, obviously. Um, you know, sometimes you know your group is, I don't want to say just dumb enough, but just not educated enough that you can pass, you know. But, like, deep down, um, it takes, you know, more humility to be able to say, I need to study this more to give a better answer to this rather than one that will pass. And I, I think that probably is the a similar temptation, right, to kind of like that in, yeah, in a way a, that is, um, is not substantive. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. So one of the things when I was back when I, when I was teaching, I always thought the danger is to, like you said, kind of just pass. You know, you know that they don't know as much as you do, and so you don't have to know it all. But to really kind of teach to yourself, if that makes sense, so you're teaching so that you know, I, I need to understand this better, not so that I can teach it better, even just because it's something that, you know, it's something important enough to me that I've spent time studying it and I want to understand it better. And so to kind of keep yourself as the focus as a, as a student, right? Um, Which I think is probably true of preaching. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It seems like that's probably true of preaching too, right? If a, if a, if a pastor is concerned that, that uh, he's getting a little too big for his britches, like those, those sermons should be preaching to, to him as well. And if they're not, you know, maybe he's missing the mark or maybe he needs to recalibrate his own perspective. So. And I, I do think with that, that that's something that I found too with everybody at some point needs to recycle a sermon. So I'm not saying you should never recycle a sermon. Like um, we've all been asked to fill in and there's just not hours in a day. 
But I think if recycling the sermon becomes habit, um, there's that same kind of stagnation, right, that can be in play because you're not really preaching to yourself if you're recycling consistently. You're preaching to hopefully who you were right at that sure at that point and i think the celebrity kind of comes with the stagnation that you get to the point of if it's good at least right <laughs> but i mean I, even um you know uh i i think you you, you can see it in the ministry um i'm sure you, we see it in any workplace uh we can see it in academia where you've done what you need to do and then you just plateau right um <clears throat> And that stagnation almost gets, like, justified with this um, hyping up of self, right? You Maybe because you're less secure, you become more, um, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'm explaining it, but I, you, you see it in ministry, too, where the person's read their books, they've done their stuff, and now they have the things they say and, you know, the charm, and it, it just kind of plateaus. If you're a Twitter theologian or a Facebook theologian. There's there's no like promotion from that. That's what you're going to be. And those are I mean if you're going to um, argue about Semper Virgo for 4 months the Mary was ever virgin, right? <laughs> you wouldn't have that <laughs> argument here. Um the uh you're also you're you're stagnating, right? You're not and I I think um that's maybe with the burnout with some of these guys that we've seen fall from grace is that it becomes um, a very consuming, like, uh, it's a very busy, uh, what was the, what did the Greeks call la- sadia? Uh, laziness, when you, you just, sadia, sloth, right? Isn't that what the, the Greek for sloth was? I mean, it can become its own, like, very busy sloth. Like, that you're busy with all kinds of stuff except your own self-cultivation. Well, you know, and, and Peter asked the question before, is this something that, what you know, you come in seeking that glory, or it's something you fall into. I and I guess I don't know how to speak to the you go in seeking because I that's just not where we're coming from. But if we're gonna but, be honest, like going through the system, you see both kinds of people. Oh yeah, yeah. sure. But I'm talking about you. Know, what what do I pray guards me against that? And it's the um, and it's the you're at the you're at the bedside, right. you know, and you know. And the person who comes in to tell you you're not all that or the person who comes in, they could care less about what your church has done or about how many hits you have on YouTube or that you presented at this conference or whatever. Um, or they the are person c- that comes that's overwhelmed with sin and there's no pat answer. Right. And so, so again, then that goes back to the means of grace, right? And if, and if that's what guards and guides your day as a pastor... Um, and real people, you know, that God keeps sending those people, you know, into your parish and into your office and into your lives and onto your phone, you know, that's the... And that that hopefully, and I like how you you bring it up because I hadn't thought about it, but those very things, right, hopefully drive you deeper into something, right? You, in a kind of geertsy and hammer of God way, (laughs) not knowing exactly what to say keeps you active in the word or in other reading that might be pertinent, um, which I, I think hopefully is true with lay people too. But I, I think this is also an issue where celebrity pastor or just the brand guy can rob the parish or classroom of things. Um, 
is that it doesn't challenge, right? You're you're basically there to hear the guy, um, and I don't know that it does challenge people in their own lives to ask those questions and wrestle with those things and want to dig deeper themselves. To that point, I think, I know I had this experience where being a, a pastor for the first time and not necessarily being a pastor, but being a pastor in a new situation at a first time, you're going to have a, a, a few months, if not longer, of people coming in and they're going to say, it's their way of saying, okay, here's my situation, <laughs> right? You, you haven't been here the last 10 years, so here, here's the situation with my family. Here's the situation with me. And I found myself, the way I explained it is this, that I'm I'm sitting there listening to people just dump on you decades of just tragedy or distrust or whatever and you're going through your mind the rolodex of passages that you're supposed to give because you're since you're this great pastoral counselor and you're coming up empty and so what i would normally do is say i i don't know i i, I wish i had a magic wand to take this away but i don't and i don't know why you're in this position why god has allowed this or done this to you if maybe for no other reason than you have to look to him. This is this is a moment of faith, and I do know this that there's, you're a baptized child of God and guaranteed heaven, some gospel there. And it took me a few months of people saying, "Wow, that was exactly, that was exactly what I needed to hear," and me thinking, "But I wasn't answering your question. I was just speaking because I it was my turn to speak." I was trying to convince myself I knew something. Right. I'm like, I felt like a failure because all I had was just this pat answer that I was given everybody. And then of course dawned on me, well, Mike, that was the gospel. That was your job. And it was a very good early lesson for me to say, to, to learn that your job here is to preach the gospel and it could have been any idiot doing it. Right. Those people just needed to dump and they needed to, to hear the gospel. Uh, maybe take the conversation a little bit, uh, to the kind of the law, law, gospel distinction, um, law, gospel, law. Yeah. Right. <laughs> in, in the, in the evangelical televangelist celebrity pastor who has, has, uh, been taken down in a ball of fire, but then also for the average pastor that nobody's ever going to know their name, but there's still the threat, which we have been talking about for the last 20 or so minutes. Um, <clears throat> It's almost it, it's almost always and predictable and even maybe even inevitable that when a celebrity pastor rails on a certain sin, that that is the sin that will take them down, and they are taken down by the law. But Which when is it, what happened, really going after the <laughs> sin of obedience. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> but but in a in a somewhat similar way when you become that guy in a parish and you you start to think i need to take this place to the next level right this is leadership talk this is planning talk all that kind of stuff and you feel frustrated by the people who are not following you as if they had nothing else going on there in their lives right as if they were coming to church to be your employees or your 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 athletes that you're coaching or or whatever it is um, you end up preaching law more often than I think you would really, you would be embarrassed by, 
right? Mm-hmm. That you and I know I fell into that because the one law that I preached a lot and shouldn't have was getting people's button to Bible class, and I, I didn't. I would say it a couple of times in 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 a sermon I shouldn't have shouldn't have, but it was always in the context of like, hey, if you don't, you know, you think you know everything, but you don't, you know, and. Um, I shouldn't have done that. And I think it was my way of saying, don't you understand how great a teacher I am and that we could mm-hmm. be such a better parish if you guys who were throwing darts at me just gave me a chance. You know what I mean? It became about me. And it became about me and my ability to take a congregation from point A to point B. And I think a, a thing that can play it, and into it that... ended up being law. Yeah, and I'm going to go right back to you. But sometimes probably too what you wanted to teach was really important, valuable, good stuff, right? Like what you were doing in Bible class. I was not necessarily wrong, right? right. <laughs> so part of it may even be that you were so excited for the very thing, um, but the way to accomplish it, right? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be Bible class. It could be any program that you came up with that you thought was going to be awesome and it was going to change the culture of your church, right? right? And I think another lesson that people, young pastors need to, to learn is that People have jobs outside and lives outside of the church, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a very good thing, right? Vocational, speaking in vocational terms. But do you really think that that on every every giving Tuesday night that they're thinking about you and your ministry? I mean, honestly, get over yourself a little bit. So I am weary about a lot of our leadership talk right now because it, it, it is kind of the CEO model kind of thing. And it doesn't really appreciate people's where they're at in their vocations and in their lives. And I think John, John, you're, you know, we serve together. Um, I help out at your church and, and have been calling for pastors for a very long time. And so I'll say, Hey, this guy is he going to take it. What do you think? And the discussions that you have with him, And, and I know if you know, I know that you like the guy and want him to take the call. If he says he gets it. And he gets that it's about people, right? He gets it's about people. It's not about the system. It's not about the program. It's not about even the congregation, but it's about people. And I I think we do fall into that of how not just the branding, right? The celebrity pastor, but the, um, the viability of the organization, right? That this congregation needs to have this many members, this big of a budget, this thing going on. And I'm not saying those things are not good to reflect on, but if you're not about the people, not only is that going to fail eventually, and we see it all the time in these mega churches, but you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so I'm so glad that I got that lesson early on of just an utter failure of my ability to speak to somebody in crisis. And all I had was the gospel. That was probably the best lesson that I ever learned. So I have a question for all three of you because you all have personalities that will attract certain sorts of people. Some of that is you know, better and worse. I was going to say that for you. And by the way, we, are fully, we, we said this a couple of days ago. Oh, one we second, are, there's a guy in the driveway. I told you I don't sell weed. <laughs> I'm not dying back there. <laughs> Wade and I I are fully aware that we're talking about celebrity pastors when we have a podcast. Right. Well, that's a question I have have as we get further along, yeah. Peter, go ahead. Yeah, no, my question is actually, so if, you know, how, if you are a a pastor who has 
parishioners and you sense that you know they're they're there for all the all the wrong reasons in that regard right like how how do you deal with that and then conversely because i think this is actually a more interesting question is like how should like how should parishioners who go there for the wrong reason like how can they prepare themselves to trend to, to change to like see things more clearly sure. does it make yeah. sense yeah. i don't yeah, know let, if me, that's let me say one thing and then i'll wait go to you wade sure. um yeah, it's difficult because you don't want to turn somebody away, mm-hmm. right? And I think you do have to teach people to say, there's a honeymoon period, obviously, that, that's going to fade away. And I think people understand that. Um, what I would say in Bible class often, and this was being caught as a young guy in a parish that was 100 and whatever years old, but also looking ahead. And I would say, you know, some of you would would come up to me and say, Pastor so-and-so did it this way in like 1972 or whatever. And it was a subtle criticism of me, which fair or not, right? And I would say, listen, um, there's going to be a day 30 years from now when some of these kids that I baptized and brought through catechism and have a special connection with them, a fatherly connection with them. And that's why I think the word father is, is too easily tossed out of the, the Lutheran vernacular. But um, that th- when, they're, when their kids are young or whatever, and they're, they're the old people in the congregation, they're going to say, oh, I remember Pastor Berg. And they're going to look back with rose colored glasses and it's going to be it's going to be inaccurate mm-hmm. right they're looking back upon what they think was a more innocent time and so it was my way of saying um those of you who are are maybe a little upset that the good old days have passed right just 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 so you know these are the good old days for somebody else and they'll be just as wrong about it and the point was of course that anybody can wear this robe and if he preaches the gospel and doesn't fall flat on his face he's going to make deep connections with people um and and i understood very early on that there there were pastors in the past that would quote walk on water for certain people why not because they were better or worse than anybody else but because they were the person there that buried grandma they were the there the person that brought their spouse who was an unbeliever into the church they were there they were the one that baptized their baby they were there in the middle of the night when when things were going sideways and i I think that's it's so important to at once upgrade the holy ministry and at the same time downgrade the person who holds the office of holy ministry and it's, it's a constant kind of reminder yeah, that's a good answer. way to put it, and I guess it's probably harder when you're the one in that office. Um, uh, yeah, and I was going to say on that front, um, sometimes I think those lessons are best learned for pastor and for parishioner in the pastor leaving. You know, I mean, there there's some there are some things that were taught at St. John Wood Lake in Pastor Berg's leaving. Um, and St. Paul's plant. And that's not in any way to hold Berg on a pedestal or Bordelon on a pedestal, but they're, um, you know, the... I noticed he left you out of that one, Wade. Yeah, well, you were a pastor, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pastor Johnston and Shield. Is it, you know... And you we fully realized that there were people that we did not connect with 
for whatever reason, right. age, whatever. Get a better fit and, now. and the guy that comes next may not connect with the parishioner that was sending the kid to the same preschool that you sent their yeah, kid it, to. It'd be, it'd be weird if they did, right? And it you, would be, you got to allow that to happen. Right. I, I had that conversation once with a family member that said that, man, what an awesome thing that you had that relationship with the pastor. And I know how much it pains you to see them go, but maybe the next guy is going to come and serve one of your brothers and sisters here um, in a way that, you know, you, yeah, you're not going to have that connection, but, but God's going to do his thing here. Um, yeah. And those, you know, you're, it hurts, right? Yeah. I mean, it, um, God be praised for it. Uh, we're at about an hour, so Wade, why don't you uh, well, give us your, all, your final You said things wisdom. go sideways. And so I started thinking about things that when they're sideways, they don't look sideways. And I want to know one that I thought of. Bread. Because when bread's sideways, it's actually up and down, right? Because don't you expect it to be <laughs> this way? <laughs> those those are crickets in the background okay. for those well, who are I thought it was a free for all idea. Um, <clears throat> no, I would agree with what both of you said. And I, so I what's think another it's, thing that looks the right way I when it's I couldn't think sideways. of another one yet. Though. <laughs> um, but, so, uh, so you just thought of description for a slice of bread. Just bread, yeah. <laughs> okay. <coughs> Sli- two slices. Um, well, I think it's got to be a slice, right? Because hey, you put hey, a hey, loaf Ben's, Ben's sideways. Got Ben's got I just want to know what the what the right orientation for bread is. What's like well, the I default? assume that we expect bread to be sandwiched ways. You're not talking about upside down, are you? Right. No. I would ca- I would call that ups- I would call that upside down. Upside down would be the it would still be bread. It'd just be the opposite <laughs> side on the sandwich. I think we have to establish what right side up is for bread to. Well, ideally, we, doesn't ninety percent of bread end up if, if this it, way when you consume it? If it doesn't have a what like, way? A, if it this doesn't way. have a, side horizontally, <laughs> so not pod, vertically. It's a podcast. People can't see these hand motions. <laughs> well, anyways, if you guys ever had that, a loaf of bread that is sliced is one way, and then a sandwich is another. It's way. It's on its side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So it, it's not it's on its side when it's way. on the sandwich. It's actually a, its side is like its crust. Mm. Excellent point. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> the crust so isn't the bread's natural feet. Sometimes you just agree with him, so he moves on. <laughs> no, I would say kind of along the same lines you guys said, and I do think it plays in the most with those people who you were privileged to pay, play a part with coming into Christianity from nothing, right? Not just transferring them in or a profession of faith. Um, and so their experience of Christianity is really your parish and you, Right outside of whatever Christian friend they had growing up or church they tried once. And uh, I think it is really hard, and that's some of the hardest people to say goodbye to, and to maybe even be scared for, because that process of a new person coming in is going to be so different for them, right? Yeah, potentially jolting. Yeah, the old-timers have had a couple different faces in the pulpit, and I think that is a good thing the Lord does Um for us and for them because sometimes too you know um i mean there's people that i still get emotional thinking about that i and when they hit their low moment or you know just that they when you saw the gospel click um and to make sure like that that emotional bond isn't primarily with the person um but vocationally what the lord 
right privileged you to to do um but i think those were the hardest people to because they don't they really don't know what to expect and um you know you're you're, you're you pray to get followed by <coughs> um you know a really good guy um but you also know you know um and thankfully in our circles i think you know there's a good chance you're going to be followed by a good guy but what by a good guy i mean is that, that they're going to continue to be fed right um and uh in that where does pride like meet up against legitimate concern right and i think um, uh it's just another way to perpetuate the celebrity huh but i i do think and i don't care if we go over time you know you know that but you can stop discussion this if you want but two things i guess Another thing that's interesting to me, especially reading, listening to those podcasts, is when the pastor or the lead person of the church or of the college or whatever becomes brand, the whatever s- surrounds that becomes institution, right? And <clears throat> the danger of any institution is that it becomes about preserving itself. And with the Falwell and Liberty, you see that, right? With Liberty becomes synonymous with Falwell and fall well with liberty, and then you have people who otherwise... And when fall well fell, there's, there's a limerick <laughs> in there. Yeah, but you you have people who end up doing stuff out of love for an institution that was probably good for them at some way at some point. And I think, um, maybe if we would have put this in our free-for-all, the older I get, the, the more I think one of the big dangers facing Christianity is, um, you know, becoming institutional in your mission um and we can do that as a a parish as a school we can do that as a church body um and we can do that individually right that's it's almost making yourself an institution what would the church do without me and i i do think that is a a concern for christianity especially as you know in many ways it seems to move to the global south or to the east um that, you know, sometimes if we're trying to hold on to every scrap and, and trying to maintain something for the sake of maintaining it, um, you, we can almost become Jesuitical in our approach. You know, the ends justify them. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah well, I think, I mean, like, you have to question what you're, what you're trying to maintain then, right? Right. Um, and that goes back to kind of always circling back and reflecting whether or not the focus, the the most important thing that you're doing is preaching the gospel. Right. Yeah, I think maybe to wrap it up, if that's okay. Um, well, I got one more at the end here. Okay, go ahead. Why should you and I be doing a podcast and writing? And what is it that? What's the difference between making it, wanting to reach people, and becoming a brand? Well, I, I think both both of us would probably, and and here is where. And I mean, why should peter and ben and john being right well here is where peter as a former host now guest <laughs> can, can 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 we leave this for another episode and maybe even doing one back to back because i think that it's a broader conversation yeah, i just think i mean because someone could yeah. fairly ask it of us or you know why well, uh I, I would say this that there's also going the other the other side that you have what's called a fake humility right right and there are times when you say, hey, you are a specific person in a specific place that have maybe put your finger onto something and um, you should you should share it, right? Um, so 
but that's and not, if you get bored with it, not do it for months. <laughs> but that's not year. that's not necessarily <laughs> a brand, or as you said, trying to be an institution. But rather, it's much more of here's here's what we want people to know about the gospel, right? And so I think it does come down to people that it's not about the congregation, it's not about the institution, but it's actually about about the people, and then what the people need is the gospel. And so that's the lesson that we want you to take. I just, you know, I think with that too, I mean, with the democratization of knowledge or expertise or whatever term you want to use, I mean, there is a real temptation for almost anyone to want to speak out into the, the ether now. Um, and so, you know, uh, I don't know, part of just, I mean, it's part of the reason I got off social media. Like I did, wasn't just other people were driving me nuts, but I found myself actually, caring what people on the internet said <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like or if they you know i mean after eric i thought i had given up caring but um you know the uh that is inside joke number seven <laughs> that is enough <laughs> but uh, but i mean it, it it is i think there's something to um you know wanting the the dopamine uh, does that make sense i mean the i think who's the good person who's doing that online or who isn't or who I don't know you guys help me start this you know yeah. what I don't I can I can stop there but I would I would just say I think uh, like a podcast is the perfect you know format for stuff like this because um, people can listen if they want and turn it off if they don't want um, but like if you if you know if you were my pastor and you were giving a you know the first Eight minutes of your sermon, you were using some illustration about bread being sideways or something. I would be, I would think that would be like inappropriate. But like that's, that's, that's like a fine thing to talk about on a podcast. So I think, I mean, you know, I say that as a joke, but it, but it's serious. I mean, you have these, these sermon messages that you know, the, the service is an hour and the message is forty-five minutes of that hour ser- service and. Not always. Some some people do great with it, but sometimes those can kind of be a, a podcast in the middle of, you know, when you're supposed to be preaching a sermon. Um, so right. I, sticks I, I, I sticks think are taking, higher there. Yeah, exactly. You, I think taking taking this type of thing to a, you know, a, a different format is not at all a, like, hey, look at us. We do this podcast. This is really cool. It's just a... Especially if you saw our download numbers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. No, that's that's good. I think um, you know Mike gave us the let's wrap it up single signal for like the actually, eighth time, and then uh, he walked away. So, left. Yeah. yeah, so I think we should probably wrap it up. But um, yeah, good uh, good conversation. Mike, why don't you why don't you close us out? <laughs> you busy? <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike's so, comes up to, <laughs> to go ahead and end. So, so. John, if you uh, you know. As you as we struggle through this, especially from the pulpit and not knowing if you're um, letting your own personality get in the way, what's the one thing that we can always do? Uh, let the bird fly. And we're going to have awkward silence until Mike presses the button.
another round. One more round won't get me down.